Happy Monday morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of SideQuest Podcast. This is the Coach's Corner episode that you get every second Tuesday of the month. Uh, it's a great episode this week. I have three fantastic coaches on, and we do a little talking about strength and why strength training is important. There's a lot of great science in here. Uh, I have the man, the myth, the legend himself, Greg Knuckles, back on the show. So he dives in, gives you some deep information, uh, but a lot of great knowledge. Uh, Nick Sorrell as well, uh, and Adam Fisher, all of us talking about strength training, eating some high carbs, whether it's better to get lean uh, or gain muscle first, what to do when you hit strength plateaus, and much, much more. For all of the show notes, head over to www.sidequestfitness.com backslash podcast and find the episode Coach's Corner on Strength Training, and you can get all of the show notes there uh, with studies that we mention, with articles we mention, uh, and much, much more. And while you're there, if you want to be the first to know when new episodes come out, sign up and join the SideQuest Fitness Brotherhood. Uh, you'll also get two free e-gifts, and I have another one that I'm working on, very, very special uh, beginner tutorial for fat loss, uh, nutrition, and all of that coming shortly. Uh, I hope it's uh, an early Christmas gift for, for a lot of people, but something really, really cool and, and you Zelda fans out there, I think will greatly appreciate it. But anyways, let's get into the show. Let's talk about some strength, learn about strength and why it is important. Again, head over to www.sidequestfitness.com backslash podcast to check out more. And if you're not following me on Twitter yet, you can follow me at sidequestfm. You can follow me on Instagram as well at SideQuestFM or head over to Facebook and like the Facebook page, SideQuest Fitness. Get all the updates on articles when they come out. Get all the updates on podcasts as well as uh, a taco recipe every Tuesday and some more exciting things. Uh, and while you're, again, at the website, sign up for the newsletter. You'll get all of that before everyone else on social as well. Guys, enjoy this episode. It's a little over an hour, but it really is a great Great episode. All right, guys, welcome to the show, the fourth episode of Coach's Corner. I have three excellent coaches on the call tonight. Uh, welcoming back Adam Fisher. Adam, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Thanks. The one and the only Nick, I will not screw up your last name. Because I'm not going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being here, man. <laughs> I swear someday I will get it right, I promise you. And the one and the yeah. only, if you're going to have a podcast about strength training, you have to have the man, the myth, the legend, Greg Knuckles on the show. Greg, welcome back to the show. Hi, good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we wanted to, on this episode of Coach's Corner, talk about strength training uh, it's something we all enjoy to do, um, but sometimes people can get a little confused by it. So we want to sort of wade through uh, the myths, the misnomers, and the BS that's out there uh, and give you a clear focus on <clears throat> how to train for strength and maybe why you should train for strength and other things you can do to get stronger um, because strength is important. Um, but I'll, I'll start with Greg because, you know, Greg is a world record holder uh, in, you know, former, former, former. 
former, well, was a world record holder. Uh, uh, and you're, you're kind of getting back, back into it. You've had uh, some injuries in the last little, little while, correct? Uh, injuries and, and just, I mean, a, a lot of it was just lack of time because, uh, for the past couple of years, my priority has been, uh, just making sure I don't wind, making sure I don't wind up, uh, living under a bridge. <laughs> and, um, I, I knew how much time I had to devote to my training and lifestyle and all of that to, to lift at the level I was before. Uh, and I knew I just didn't have that much time to devote to it anymore. So, uh, just kind of been in, uh, I guess maintenance mode for the last couple of years, but, uh, it's looking. It's looking like I probably won't wind up living under a bridge in the next like three to six months or so. So uh, start starting to ramp my train up now. Awesome, awesome. Well, you know, it's good that you're not living under a bridge. I'm, I'm sure many of us would would take you in uh, and and give you a place to stay. Um, <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So letting letting kind of Greg talk here for a little bit. You uh, wrote an article a two piece article, um, you know, about how building more muscle mass can, can help you grow stronger, uh, and, and help you become stronger. Um, and I guess for me and maybe some other people who might be listening, um, you know, you, you, you hear a coach or you hear people in the fitness industry talk about strength, but never really telling you to, you know, add more muscle because a lot of people are kind of scared of that. Um, but, when you say add muscle, you, does that mean that like bodybuilders with as much muscle as they have, should they be squatting and deadlifting more than other people? Or is there sort of a, a, a difference in muscle type or. Well, okay. So, um, the, the reason, the reason the, there are two, there are two major reasons bodybuilders don't tend to lift quite as much as powerlifters. And also, I just need to throw this in there. Bodybuilders are really freaking strong. Um, and most of them that that try their hand at powerlifting are exceptional powerlifters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Eric Spoto, current all-time world record holder in the bench press, his background is in bodybuilding. Uh, Stan Efferding, who held the all-time total records at uh, 275 and 308, uh, his background's in bodybuilding. Uh, Johnny Jackson, mid eight hundreds deadlifter at, um, it was either 242 and 275 or just 275. Uh, his backgrounds in bodybuilding, he's still a bodybuilder. Um, most top level bodybuilders are going to be benching over 500 for reps. Like they are stupidly strong to begin with. Um, and most of them are very, very good power lifters if they make the switch over. Um, but just in terms of just speaking in generalities, why they don't tend to be as strong as powerlifters, a lot of it just comes down to training, really. Because um, there are there are two major factors, uh, two major trainable factors that determine how strong you are. So, so there are a few different factors that influence your strength. Um, one is just going to be uh, different limb lengths, body proportions, etc., uh, one's going to be muscle origins and insertions. One's going to be uh, more acutely um, level of arousal, um, and then, uh, but but those aren't trainable. You can't really affect those in any meaningful way through training. Um, so the two things that are trainable are one. Uh, I'll, I'll just 
I'll just give this kind of the umbrella term neural factors. So this would be technical proficiency with the lift itself. Uh, and then also um, like motor unit recruitment, rate coding, uh, inter and intramuscular coordination, stuff like that. Um, and then the other one is just simply how much muscle you have. So uh, with bodybuilders, they have a ton of muscle, but those neural factors tend to be best trained with heavy loads. And so since they aren't training quite as heavy as frequently as a powerlifter would be, um, they haven't really tapped out those neural factors to nearly the same degree as a powerlifter would have. Um, so that's the biggest reason they, they don't lift as much. But again, once they decide they want to pick up really heavy shit, uh, it doesn't take them too long to train for that before they're really, really good at that too. So um, yeah, th there are basically only two factors you can impact with your training. One is just how good you are at picking up heavy stuff. And two, how much muscle you have to apply that skill with to pick up heavy stuff. So uh, if you've been in the same weight class for, say, two or three years, uh, your total hasn't really been improving very much, um, that's probably a good sign that you don't have that much more room to improve via those neural factors. And so to continue lifting more and more, uh, really the simple answer is just to get more jacked. I, I like that answer. Hell yeah. Get get more jacked. Um, so, so Greg, if, if anyone was sort of new to it or, you know, even intermediate, you know, sort of lifters, is the best thing for anyone to do to sort, you know, to, well, maybe a dumb question, but is it really best to, to focus maybe for a little while on getting really, really good at the lifts and being able to recruit more of those, those motor units and, and using, you know, more of your, your central nervous system properly before you decide to add a bunch of like muscle mass and, and, you know, make the trek to lift 500 pounds. In general, I think people tend to be better off trying to build that muscular base first. Um, biggest reason is just that one second, my dog's freaking out because my wife got home. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, and guys, if you want to chime in, Adam and, and Nick, if you guys, you know, have experience with that, please, you know. Yeah. Um, so, like, I think, like, for a beginner, I think it, it they kind of happen at the same time. Um, so, I think a lot of beginners get stronger as they put on muscle mass. Like, you can't really focus on one without getting the other at the beginning stages. And then it's kind of pointless to solely focus on strength because for whatever reason, beginners, and this is just in my experience, you know, if they're using 85% of whatever their one rep max is, and you usually like a normal lifter can get that for like five reps, a lot of times beginners, for whatever reason, can get that for, you know, seven or eight. Uh, so there's no reason to cut them off at that, you know, that strength, you know, rep range or whatever, like, you know, ones and threes and fives and stuff like that. Um, so training in the moderate range, rep ranges, like six to eight, uh, it tends to kind of do the strength and size thing for a beginner. Uh, so... I don't, I don't know if, like, at the beginning stages it really makes sense to focus on one because you can kind of do both at the same time at the beginning stages, right, before you need to really specialize or focus. No, I, I agree. And, and the point that I was about to make, it was going to be very much in line with that. Um, a, a mistake I see a lot of new lifters making is uh, just in general having too specialized of a program. So you know, maybe their whole program is a combined total of like four or five lifts. Um, so, you know, they are going to build strength and muscle, uh, utilizing those lifts, 
but primarily just in the muscles that are primarily stressed by those lifts instead of having a more well-rounded program and just building a more all-around solid muscular base. Yeah, it very much goes in line with uh, the concept of general physical preparedness, which, uh, I mean, it can start a lot with, like, West Side and, like, you know, some of the Russian training stuff, uh, where the idea is that sort of you spend uh, a year or two training with very generalized programming before you really start specializing in anything. So you train for stuff that involves strength and hypertrophy and endurance all at once. And then from there, you move on. Once you kind of see what you're good at, you move on to really specializing in that and focusing, you know, your training more on that. That's a good point. And and also, I think uh, I think people misinterpret the term GPP, general physical preparedness. It seems like most powerlifters have this idea that GPP is synonymous with cardio. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, you'll see someone post a video pushing a sled and it's like, ah, doing GPP work. And it's like, yeah, that, that is GPP, but you know, just building an overall muscular foundation is as well. And, uh, I'll also note, it's not, it's not just for new lifters, um, because you're going to have to do ongoing work throughout your training career to maintain that base. Probably the most extreme version of that I've heard of, uh, do you guys And okay. So he may just be, uh, blowing smoke up, blowing smoke up our asses because, if you've ever seen his Instagram, he's clearly a professional troll. But Ilya Illin, do you guys know any of the stuff he said about his own training? Oh, I haven't followed that, no. Bro, uh-huh. so apparently after London 2012, he wins the gold medal. Um, there were there were these pictures from him doing seminars. Uh, he was a 90, he was in the 94 class, uh, so 207 pounds. And um I mean, he was pretty jacked there. He he got up as high as like 101 kilos, so like 222 or something like that. Um, cut back to 93, pretty jacked. Uh, and then there were pictures of him surfacing at seminars where, I mean, he looked tiny. Like, you know, he looked like a dude who'd lifted weights once or twice, but not like, you know, not like an Olympic gold medalist. And... Uh, I think I think the smallest he got down to was like 82 kilos or something, so like 180 mm-hmm. pounds. Um, and so he he was interviewed about it, and he said what he did after London was um, he had a 10 month training plan where for the first few months all he did was rowing and swimming and jogging, uh, <laughs> just because he felt just like really shitty and out of shape. Um, and so he spent a few months just doing that. Uh, and then got back into it and started doing just basically like bodybuilding type work. Um, then working in some more cleans and snatches and squats. And then by the time he competed again, uh, at the world championships, his program was like literally only clean and jerk snatch and back squat or front squat, front squat. So, um, yeah, it's, it's not just something for new lifters. It's something that, uh, also needs to be trained and maintained throughout a career. Okay. Um, so one of the questions I had was, uh, you know, when, when anyone sort of starts out new, um, and maybe even, even if you're sort of intermediate for a while and you're doing something new and and different, um, you know, the difference between like neural adaptation and actual muscle growth. So, you know, a lot of people, you know, who get really excited, you know, especially with the new year coming up, you're going to have people in the gyms and, 
uh, you know, you're going to see people like hashtag gains, you know, after like three or four weeks. And a lot of that, you know, sort of, sort of is neural adaptation. So Greg, is there, is, is there a point, like, what is the point? Is it, is it five or six weeks or is it, uh, you know, before the body finally goes, all right, finally, you know what? I get it. You're adding weight. I need to build more muscle. Um, like three or four weeks or so. Okay. Uh, there was actually a study that just came out a couple months ago, a month or two ago, um, out of, I think it was Stu Phillips' lab up in Canada. And uh, basically, they found that people do um, people do hypertrophy very early on, like within the first week or two. But uh, a lot of that is just transient cellular swelling because... You know, if you if you have a layoff or like the first time you lift, you just get horrendously sore, right? Yeah. And so, uh, like before, uh, what's called the repeated bouts effect kicks in to help protect you from some of that muscle damage. Uh, you get a lot more muscle damage when you first start training, um, and that causes an inflammatory response that actually does make your muscles swell very early on, like with within the first week. Um, but most of that is just like transient swelling from inflammation. Um, and then true, like actual, uh, skeletal, um, skeletal muscle protein accrual, uh, seems to start kicking up around week three or four. Uh, but, but it also seems that supplements, um, can modulate that a little bit. So, uh, HMB, um, doesn't work all that well for experienced lifters. If you look at the entire body of literature, there, there have been a couple outlier studies that, that make it look like it's uh, God's gift to hypertrophy for experienced lifters as well. But um, on, on net, most of the studies show that it doesn't really do all that much for experienced lifters. But in, uh, in new lifters, um, it helps with increased hypertrophy, especially early on. Uh, because its its main role is to protect against muscle damage, um, and so more experienced lifters do have uh, some adaptations built up to help them uh, resist some muscle damage and some muscle protein breakdown. Uh, so on net, um, muscle protein synthesis predominates, and their muscles get bigger, etc. Uh, new lifters, since it since they do have more muscle damage, uh, they have more muscle protein breakdown, and so for the first couple of weeks. Um, breakdown versus synthesis it's basically a wash uh but it, it does seem that hmb especially early on like in the first few weeks that someone's in the gym uh it does seem that it that that does uh decrease muscle damage and can help with hypertrophy early on i did not know that <clears throat> i've seen like tons of you know ads for the stuff and and on the aisles when you go into those uh into a supplement store but i um didn't know that Pretty much is not that great for experienced lifters. <laughs> uh, that's good to know. Um, you know, I so I just kind of reading about that because you know there are a lot of people who who sort of talk about oh you know the first few weeks it's just it's your nerves getting used to it. you haven't really started to gain muscle. Um, you know, so so more muscle equals more strength. Um, is it? Well- Muscle equals the potential for more strength. Potential for more strength, right. But to gain so is it better for someone to to start out, you know, in leaning down and then to build muscle? Um, or or can you sort of just start? 
Like what is, if you really want to build more muscle to get stronger, can, can you start it fairly, you know, overweight or should you really focus on getting a little leaner before you, you know, decide to pack on muscle? Uh, in, in general, it's better to lean out first. Um, there, there are a few reasons why, but, uh, I mean, the biggest, just, just to look at kind of the, the largest end effects is, um, like when, when people gain weight across numerous studies, people who start leaner, um, a larger proportion of that weight they gain tends to be, uh, lean mass versus fat mass. So, um, in general, it's, it's like a two thirds, one third split. So, uh, leaner people when they start gaining fat or when they start gaining weight, it's about two thirds lean and one third, uh, fat adipose tissue. Um, and then for people who are, who are more overweight and fat to start with, um, it's about one third lean and about two thirds fat. So it's, it's not that you, uh, it's not that you can't gain muscle. Like if you're already overweight, um, it's just that you gain muscle more efficiently if you if you're starting out lean, uh, and also you gain less fat along the way that you're going to uh, have to cut later. That's that's actually that's a that's a good point. Um, I think we at least I know I've suffered from ballooning up and then having to lean back down and uh, gaining a little bit and then gaining a lot more. Uh, I'm right with you. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, okay. So when now you can, you can get stronger in a cut as well. Um, but for, you know, for a lot of us, we, we tend to do this weird cycle where like, I'm bulking, I'm cutting, I'm bulking, I'm cutting, I'm bulking, I'm cutting. And it feels like you're on a never ending sort of like just weird cycle. Uh, like it's the circle of lifting, not the circle of life, the circle of lifting, you just bulk and cut and bulk and cut. Um, you know, because you get to a point where you want to get stronger, you want to get more muscle. Um, do you like, if, if you're just in maintenance, I mean, you can still make good progress in, in maintenance, obviously. Um, but what do you do when, when your strength sort of plateaus, you know, do you need to, to, to increase the calories and start trying to build more muscle or are there things you can do to, to, do you need to just take a break? Like stop benching, stop squatting, focus on some, you know, some single leg work or some floor pl- presses or, you know, switch it up. Like what, what do you do when you plateau? Uh, so, so two things, one, um, first thing you should do is just make sure that what you're doing outside the gym isn't screwing you over. So, uh, you know, make sure you're sleeping enough, make sure, um, your stress is in check. Um, one of the things I was talking about at the start, like the just the time investment to lift at the level I was before, um, a lot of that was in uh, just like light physical activity throughout the day. So um, three or four times throughout the day, I would do some pull-ups and some push-ups and some body weight squats, um, and then also two or three stretching sessions throughout the day as well. Um, those things can uh, help with recovery. Um from your training and, and, um, so, so that, that's one, just make sure what you're doing outside of the gym isn't screwing you up, especially sleep. Sleep is huge. Um, and then if all of that is in line, uh, just make sure you haven't been doing the same shit for too long. Um, at some point you need to present your body with a novel stimulus because, you know, what causes you to get bigger and stronger, it's, uh, 
I mean, so we could talk about two-factor model here, but to simplify it a bit, just basic general adaptation syndrome. So uh, something presents as a stressor and your body responds to it. Um, But then once it's fully adapted to a stressor, like when you're doing the same thing over and over and over, um, it's not presenting your body with a novel enough stimulus for it to perceive it as enough of a threat to cause adaptation. So um, that's the other thing. So, you know, I think, I think people, uh, I think people use too many calories to um, kind of make up for, poor lifestyle and vanilla training programs. So, you know, if you're, if you're doing the same thing over and over and over again, but then you also throw more calories into the mix. Yeah. You'll probably get bigger and stronger, but you know, you could have, you could have probably tried something else first. Yeah. I, and I, I'm glad you mentioned sleep because I think sleep is the one thing that many of us don't get uh, enough of, but it was, it was interesting because I think, you had posted something uh, on on Facebook this last weekend uh, about a study that had been done in like Africa, showing that uh, uh, some African tribes still got like six and a half hours of sleep, uh, whereas you know that's sort of the average now with us. So that maybe maybe and people were trying to make a case that maybe we haven't lost our ability to sleep. Um, well, okay, so so there are a couple things with that. Um, one is that which order to address these in okay so so one one is just sleep efficiency so one of the things they have going for them is one uh just exquisite circadian rhythm regulation so they're getting up and going to bed at the same time every day um and also in terms of like how quickly they fall asleep and how much deep sleep they get uh, one, one of the things the article also noted is none of those tribes have a word for insomnia. Uh, like no one has difficulty sleeping basically. Um, but so uh, there's some studies showing that light exposure in the morning and then also um, getting away from, from white and blue light exposure later in the day. So computer screens basically and most fluorescent lights Um when you have that light exposure in the morning and then also, you know, as the sun's going down, um, getting less and less light exposure, those two things, uh, increase melatonin release, uh, help you fall asleep quicker and then also get more, uh, deep sleep and REM sleep. So one, if they're sleeping the same amount as us, it's probably, uh, just quantitatively much better sleep. Um, even if it's the same amount. And then two, sleep needs for people just going about day-to-day life and athletes uh, differ quite a bit. So um, most of the sleep literature thus far has looked at sleep deprivation in just general population and how that affects physical and mental performance. Uh, There's a group at Stanford, though, doing some really cool research on sleep extension in athletes uh, and finding some really, really cool stuff. So they haven't uh, they haven't looked at strength and power athletes yet, but they've studied uh, basketball players, swimmers and tennis players and in really short periods of time, like two to four weeks, they're seeing just like pretty crazy, pretty crazy upside from getting an extra hour or two of sleep per night. So, you know, taking athletes who are already getting 
uh, about eight hours of sleep a night and making them get in bed for nine or 10 hours a night. So, um, the tennis study, all, all that looked at was serving accuracy. So yeah, whatever. Um, basketball, it, it looked at shooting accuracy and saw some pretty crazy improvements there, but whatever, we're not basketball players. Um, but they, they also looked at sprint times. Um, and so for the distance of sprint, they were running, I think it was 60 meters, uh, times dropped from, um, no, it wasn't 60 meters. That would be ridiculously slow. I don't remember for sure. Maybe it, I, I think it was 120 meters. Yeah. That would make sense given the times. But it dropped from something like 16 and a half seconds to 15.2 seconds, something like that. So, I mean, if, if you've ever coached uh, athletes where speed is important, dropping dropping over a second on sprint times of that distance, that's absurd. Um and they found similar things with swimmers as well. So uh, some technical improvements, so reaction time to the gun, and then also um, how many kicks they were getting per time down the pool, but also uh, sprint times for swimming decreased by like 10 15%. So like really, really big improvements in a really short amount of time, um, which, which, leads, which leads one to believe that uh, the typical sleep needs quoted for general population, so you know, seven eight hours a night, uh, are probably quite a bit, considerably longer for athletes. Probably an extra sleep cycle. So, you know, instead of getting seven eight hours a night, shoot for eight at minimum, but aim for nine or ten if you can. Man, now you're telling me I gotta make my bedtime eight p.m. Greg, dang it. <laughs> I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying it's all in week forever if you don't. Yeah. So. <laughs> Always, thanks. I already feel small in week. <laughs> and, and, and now, uh, just to reiterate, like they haven't they haven't actually studied strength and power athletes yet. Um, and also keep in mind these are D1 collegiate athletes, so they're probably training quite a bit harder than the average gym rat is. But um, at least right now, the evidence does. Uh, seem to lean that when you're training hard, um, your your sleep needs are probably a little bit higher than just general general population. Yeah, no, and I I mean I think I think getting an extra hour, you know, two or whatever is is good for anyone, um, you know, at, at whenever. Uh, but I, I it's it's weird because I know for me like as soon as like sunlight pokes in like my body, like it doesn't matter. It could bounce off a wall and like hit like the corner of my head under the blankets and my body just like wakes up. Um, so I have a weird circadian rhythm. Um, so mentioning you know, being, being small and, and, and weak, uh, you know, you, you talked, uh, and guys, Adam and, and Nick, please chime in as well. Uh, you, you talked about having a wider frame meant having more muscle. Um, and I, and I have to say, I, just a personal story. Uh, I told my dad who's like six, two and my dad's got a pretty wide frame. I was like, I'm actually really sad that I'm like three inches shorter than you three and a half, because like with your frame, I could pack on a hell of a lot more muscle. Uh, <laughs> I just got my grandfather's height. Um, but and I think you can sort of see that in in people like if you put the rock up against like Charles Barkley like the rock up against any of us looks huge but next to like Charles Barkley he looks tiny Really? Yeah, have you, yeah, have you seen that picture of him and the him and Shaq and 
Charles Barkley like standing next to each other? Yeah, he no, he I, looks I have, like he's five foot eight. I, I saw. Yeah, he looks like a kid. Yeah. I saw the one with uh, him and Yao Ming and Kevin Hart though. <laughs> I need okay. I'm gonna find that photo and guys, it'll be in the show notes because I have a feeling that's gonna be hilarious. Uh, that actually mentally in my head uh, is already a hilarious photo. Um, so does does height also play? I mean, you know, because you said wider frame, so the wider you are is one thing, but I mean, obviously height plays a lot into that. You know, so if someone's like you know, six, seven, six, eight, sometimes like in collegiate, you know, sports, those guys tend to have, or sometimes have a problem putting on muscle is like, is height a factor? Like, can you put more muscle on with height or are you going to have a harder time or is it really um, just width? I think, I think height definitely helps. Obviously, like if you're seven foot tall, you're not going to weigh, you're probably not going to weigh like 160 pounds every now and then you see those like freshman basketball players that do, uh, but I think I think like more so than height are just as important is like just like the thickness of your frame. So I know like me personally, and you may you know you may be the same way, Robbie. Like I have really thin wrists and really thin ankles. Oh yeah, um, and I, I have a background of being really heavy, but it wasn't like a muscular heavy. You know, like <laughs> it was like I ate too many Twinkies heavy. Uh, but I, so like I'm I'm I weigh about 175 pounds, 180 pounds on a uh, on a weekend of drinking or something like that um but i just have really thin wrists and stuff like that whereas people i'm 511 people other 511 guys that are about the same height and roughly the same size and same strength as me they're naturally it's a lot heavier just because they have thicker joints you know a thicker frame a thicker skeleton um and i saw something on greg's website where he was a he had uploaded a where you could input like the the numbers of your, like your ankle and your wrist and I think it was your neck and your height or something something along those lines and it can determine your muscular potential. So I say like just as important as height. I think like just your general thickness is just as important. Yeah, for sure. Like um, I'm 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 putting I'm putting that picture. It, it's not Yao Ming. I couldn't find the one I was thinking of, but it's another really tall Asian guy. But <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, I'm I'm kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. So uh, when I played when I played sports as a kid, like before before I even started lifting, um, well, w- when I was at my best in basketball, I was like 160 pounds and I looked like a skeleton. Um, and then, like after after I'd been lifting for a while, I had a pretty bad back injury and couldn't train for like. I couldn't train hard for quite a while, but so I, I used that opportunity to cut down and get lean. And so like really not even training. So at the time, all I was really doing was just push ups and pull ups because bench depresses me and uh, I couldn't squat or deadlift. Um, but I got down to, I got down to like 190 and I, I literally could not see myself getting smaller than that. Like I was teeny tiny and I'm about five nine and a half. So, and like, yeah. So, uh, frame size does definitely make a difference. Um, that the what, what you were alluding to, uh, alluding to on my website, that was some research by uh, Dr. Casey. It's B U T T. I don't know whether it's butt or butte. I'm just gonna. I hope it's butt. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, but yeah, he, but. <laughs> he he found uh, among uh, drug free bodybuilders that there was a very strong relationship between uh, wrist and ankle size and how much muscle they could carry on their frame. Uh, and then there's some other research um, linking other other joint breadths to uh, lean mass that people carry. So uh, that that's a notion that's well supported by research. Uh, and it's it's not necessarily a causative factor. So, um, you know, there, there are probably people with small frames that can still put on quite a bit of muscle and people with larger frames who just aren't as gifted for putting on muscle. But uh, it, it it does seem to be one of those things that correlates fairly, fairly strongly. Does that so in in the case of if like me and Nick, you have very, yeah. very small wrists. Cause I read that in the article and I was like, I'm not even going to measure my wrists. Cause I can already tell yeah. I would be depressed <laughs> cause like my forearms never grow. And I feel like it's partially because I have tiny hands and really messed up fingers. Um, but that's a different story. Um, so will that affect your strength? Like if you, so will someone could, because you, they would have the potential if they have a little bit of, you know, a, a wider frame or some wider joints and, and a wider wrist or ankle, you know, if they're able to put on more muscle, does that mean they have the potential to be stronger than, you know, maybe their brother who has a smaller wrist? Well, I'll tell you what, I, I want to add to that question and shoot it over to Greg real quick. Uh, so, like, when I coached UofL, I noticed, and this, is, this might have just been, like, a complete coincidence, but a lot of the more explosive athletes, and it, regardless of size, like uh, even the linemen that could jump higher, run faster, or the running backs or whatever, um, a lot of them had thinner ankles. A lot of times the dudes with the thinner ankles were more explosive. You know, they could jump higher, they could push harder, they could run faster. Uh, but they were still, you know, they were still decent-sized guys or Division one football players. So I'd like to kind of add, you know, does a thin joint, you know, if it hinders your muscle mass, does it help your power? Okay. I really don't know. It's just something I noticed. So uh, thin thin ankles, that's a really interesting one. Um, a lot of that has to do with uh, like the, the ratio of muscle belly to tendon for your gastroc. So right. the, the big muscle in the back of your calf for, for the listeners. Um, the longer your tendon is, one, that's going to make your – like it's just going to make your ankles look skinnier because, uh, you know, you're – uh, the calf muscle itself is just bunched up right behind the knee, so it, it looks like a like a strawberry on a popsicle stick almost. Um, <laughs> right, right. But the the tendon is actually what stores the vast majority of the elastic energy in the muscular tendon tendinous complex, um, and so that's not necessarily as quite as good for like maximum strength. But when it comes to power output, that is considerably better. So for like sprinting, jumping, changing directions, stuff like that, um, it does help to have like the the higher muscle belly for the calf and longer tendons. Okay, cool. Interesting. Um, okay, but so, but does that for for strength? So since you know we're we're talking a little about and, and power is included in, in, in strength as well, but you know if you're not an athlete, let's say you got you got. Brother one and brother two, you know, if one does have, you know, wider wrists or angles or whatever, does he have the potential to be stronger or can even like, even if you get to the point, like where say brother two with a small wrist, uh, you know, 
reaches his potential of muscle, he can still get stronger, right? Even if his body's like, well, we're not going to grow anymore. Yeah, I mean, like if if the smaller one lifts and the bigger one doesn't. Well, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're both, <laughs> but, but like if they're both lifters and, and you know, in some aspect. Then generally the bigger one's going to have the advantage. Okay. Well, good to know. Um, me and me and my me and my brother are actually uh, a pretty good example of that. Um, so I, I sent I sent a picture of my brother in the group chat earlier because he looks exactly like Adam. It's but, true. It's um, kind of creepy. <laughs> he's uh, like he's quite a bit smaller than me, so we're, we're the same height, but he has uh, a much smaller frame, uh, and he he lifted for a couple years, and I think his best squat was like. 275 pounds not kilos um and his best bench was like 205 or 215 something like that um and and my squat and bench are are quite a bit above that um but yeah so so we we fit that description perfectly we're we're the same height i have a much bigger frame than him uh and when we both started working out uh, one, I was just a lot stronger to begin with before the two of us started lifting, and then I was able to put on a lot more muscle and strength than he was. Okay. okay. <laughs> I had a feeling that's what you were going to say. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, all right, so so we're going to talk a little about uh, sort of nutrition and with, with strength training because um, I'm – in a lovely experiment with my coach, uh, I guess not really an experiment. Uh, he just told me to do it, and I did it. Um, so I'm eating really high carbs because um, we're packing on some muscle mass to, to help me lift and, and finally reach my goal of a 400-pound deadlift, uh, which I would have reached last year but lifted like an idiot and hurt my back. Um, so I took a break from deadlifts for a couple months. Um, so, and I, and I know, Greg, you had a friend who, who – had a had a few days to to do some experimenting and 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 packed on some some really good lean muscle and upping his carbs um is that something that you know would benefit someone who's trying to gain strength like to to take six or eight weeks and ramp carbs up to like 500 grams and and really just focus on adding as much muscle mass as possible and then going back to strength training like they're not you're not really going to lose a lot of of your strength in, in that time frame, It, uh, it helps, it helps more indirectly than directly. So, I mean, when, when you ramp up carbs, like you're going to get glycogen super compensation. So, um, you know, that, that's going to like, if, if you got say like a DEXA or underwater weighing or something like that, that would reflect as a lot of more lean mass really quickly. Um, just because your muscles would be holding more glycogen and water. Um, but so, so when you lower the carbs again, like that's fairly transient. Uh, the, the biggest thing you get from that is uh, carbs are your body's preferred fuel source for high-intensity uh, exertions. So, you know, if, if along with that you're also trying to ramp up training volume, which you should be if you're uh, trying to put on some muscle, then the increased carbs are going to give you more energy for that. So it, it's it's basically the extra carbs help fuel harder training um, more so than, than just directly making you jacked by themselves. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, have you, have you ever done anything like that yourself? Have you guys actually, any of you guys ever done anything with carbs really, really high or do you sort of keep them fairly moderate? Oh, I mean, I'll say personally that, uh, I have gone through various high carb, uh, segments of my life. Usually when I get like kind of poor and like all I can afford is like <laughs> a crap ton of soda. Um, <laughs> But I, I will say that I, I, at the very least, I've not seen any negative uh, side effects from that. I have occasionally seen that, yeah, it might be a little bit stronger for a little bit, but it uh, doesn't necessarily tend to last or anything like that. Uh, that's just that. That's just n equals one, though. I guess that's just one, uh, one testimonial. Yeah, most, most of most of my high carb experience was back when I played sports. Um, so like when I played basketball, most of the other kids would have like Gatorade water or something like that. I would bring a two liter of cheer wine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you, if you've ever been to North Carolina, cheer wine is the greatest soft drink ever, ever. conceived. Ever. Um, but yeah, so, uh, I, I would bring a two liter of cheer wine to all of my practices and games and just drink that instead of water. Uh, <laughs> I just had this. That- vision of greg like on the basketball court running around like greg you're going the wrong way i'm all hyped up on cheer wine <laughs> no i mean it, it, it one cheer wine is caffeine free so i could drink yeah so i could drink it for night games and i was still fine huh. uh but yeah i mean it's it's a source of simple carbohydrate and water so yeah whatever it worked there are certainly better sports drinks out there but it worked reasonably well um and I mean, at the time, uh, I was like, I'm, I'm a very, I'm someone who, who's prone to tunnel, to tunnel vision. So when I get on something, like it's the only thing I do. And so at that point in my life, uh, kind of a typical schedule for me was I would get up early and go for a jog and like just shoot baskets in my yard, uh, before school. And then I'd go to school, practice after school. Then after that, go to the Y, play basketball for like another three or four hours, lift some weights, and then go home, go to bed, and repeat the process. Um, and so I needed uh, I needed a ton of well, just calories in general, and then also carbs to to fuel all of that. So uh, yeah, Cheerwine was the soft drink of champions at the time. Um, but and I, I haven't I haven't really done a, a high carb experiment on myself since I've been a lifter. I will say that there was also a period in which I could not find Gatorade powder at my local store, so I was just buying Tang instead. <laughs> tang, tang was my my pre workout, my inter workout, and my post workout. You were basically an astronaut. <laughs> yeah, essentially, <laughs> like a really swole astronaut. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I do. Have, I do have to say, uh, I you know, in 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 doing this, I, I do have a nice. Nice, nice swole going on for for a good twenty four hours. Uh, but it's you know just the extra glycogen and, and water. But damn, if it doesn't look good when I wake up in the morning. <laughs> perma pump. <laughs> Do what? I said you got that perma pump. Oh yeah, that perma pump. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's really great on arm day when I'm like, oh yeah, still still looks good. My wife is like, just go away. No one cares. <laughs> Oh yeah, arm day's the best. You know, pop a few rice cakes and you're good, man. 
Oh yeah, lots of lots of rice cakes. Lots of rice cakes. <laughs> yeah. I, like, yeah. I, like how, I like how you use the terminology "pop a rice cake." Right, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> rice cake basically D ball. Yeah, yeah, it, it's the same thing, man. <laughs> uh, okay, so basically, if you really, really want to get really strong, you need to get jacked as well, because uh, that's going to give you the the more potential to uh, to gain strength. Um, Greg, are there, or anyone is, are there any weird things you've, you've noticed in your training that have helped you get stronger or things you've done that, you know, might be sort of abnormal, but work and silence. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, well, the hard part is like you say, you say abnormal and what I hear is like just normal stuff that, that hasn't been normalized yet. You know, like I hear like. Not, not to say that, you know, like, I think that, you know, you, that I ever do stuff that's cutting edge or, like, never been done before. But, you know, it's like sometimes, uh, for example, like, uh, Alex Viata's hybrid training stuff, it's like, you know, like, 10 years ago, you had so many articles out there saying, like, oh, well, you can't combine cardio and and heavy lifting. That's impossible. Yeah. And then he did it, and, it, uh, you know, it's like, well, you know, obviously, we just didn't quite understand the model, obviously. <laughs> it- it's you know? funny because I feel like everyone who was writing those articles had literally never looked at the NFL. Yeah, right? <laughs> which which is yeah, – well, Yeah, go ahead. Nick. There's just like a lot of bad information and, – and not bad information but like contradict information, right? So like I know like within the general public. So I think like as fitness professional, professionals, whatever we are, uh, <laughs> a lot of times we get caught up because we know what like – each other know you know what i'm saying like we all read the same shit and say the same things and all that stuff whereas like the general population you know the people that are trying to take what we're trying to give them and put it to use they're not near as advanced as we are with their knowledge right so like with to them like you know they get real caught up in rest days and yeah you should take rest days but like uh i know personally my squat didn't go up until i started squatting three or four times a week right whereas for a general population person they think they shouldn't do that you know squat once or twice a week and then you got to recover the other couple of days um so i think like you got to kind of experiment and really pay attention to what you're doing like if you're squatting once or twice a week and it's not working you need to change that just because some dude online said that you need to squat once or twice a week if it's not working it's not working you got to change it up uh so I think, like, it's really important to track things uh, and then kind of experiment on yourself. And if you need to do more, do more. You know, don't get too caught up in that being afraid you're going to overtrain or any of that crap. You know, I I feel like the pendulum has almost swung too far back the other direction. Where uh, So so last summer I was in Orange County, California, and there there was a, a group of young lads there who, like, they were... Like, it was obvious that they got all of their information from YouTube. And um, so my my first day there, I was uh, I was doing some rep work on squats. So I was doing 495 for three sets of 10 to 12, I think. Um, and so, like, That's they... Crazy. But well, so they, they saw me... They saw me doing warm-up sets, and they stopped me when I was... Uh, when I was doing, like it was either 225 or 315 something like that and they saw i was doing it for 10 reps and they were like why are you doing so many reps bro and i was like <laughs> i was like because i i want i want my legs to get bigger so i'll i can squat heavier things and 
they they were like, well, so and so and so and so, and just like various people on YouTube. They they were like, yeah, they, they say you should never really go over like three to five reps, and that uh, you need to squat like four or five times a week if you want your squat to go up. And I was like, ah. I was like. I don't really know how to put this, but I squat over 150 pounds more than any of them. <laughs> yeah. Does, does yeah. anyone remember the really funny Charles Poliquin post a while back where he said that you have to squat at least 14 times a week in order to see any progress? Oh God, no. This, <laughs> no, I, dude. I actually really like some, his, like I really like him, but like some, I, I don't know. Some of the <laughs> stuff on his like the his like a uh, steak and nut breakfast thing. I did that for a while and got really fat, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he had this, it was some article about it. I, I can't even remember what it was about. It might have just been about improving your squat, but he he worked it in as like a single line, like no explanation, no nothing. It was just like, oh, by the way, if you want to improve your squat, you have to squat at least 14 times a week. That's how all the pros do it. And then just nothing else. Like there was no like, no lead up, no explanation, just that line. And I, I died, died of laughter. <laughs> two a days, man. Yeah, two a days. Yeah, every day. Yeah. Of the week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I will say the time I saw the most progress on my squat was when I was doing two a days squatting. Oh yeah, well, yeah well, there I, we go. It does it does make a difference? And actually, um, to this point, most of I wouldn't say most, probably like fifty fifty. Um, but like a, a hefty proportion of the research supporting higher training frequencies thus far is actually done on, uh, like two a day setups, mostly in female collegiate athletes. Um, and honestly, like that, that type of stuff has been, uh, has been more eye popping than just like the increasing training frequency via, uh, more sessions throughout the week. There, there was one, uh, I want to say they were doing squats, but that could just that could just be a bias because I see everything through squat tinted glasses. Uh, it could have it, it could have been leg extensions, but I think it was squats. I'm going to go with squats. Um, and it was either I want to say it was either doing uh, they were doing them three days a week, and it was either doing it all in one session or split into two sessions. And the group uh, doing them over two sessions a day. It was it was something crazy, like twice as much uh, twice as much hypertrophy and strength progress, and then also uh, there was a EMG proportion of that study as well, looking at uh, total like um, maximum EMG amplitude uh, for um, like like when doing maximum con- contractions, and that improved as well. So uh, indicating that it wasn't just an increase in muscle and strength, but some of that increase in strength was driven by actually being able to recruit the muscles better um, by splitting the volume up uh, doing two a days instead of just doing it all in one session. So there, there is actually some interesting stuff about two a days out there. So in that, in, like in that case, if, if you were going to do that to, to improve your strength and, and, and leg growth, would you like, if you had a total of 40 reps, are you saying you would do like 20 in the morning and 20 in the evening? Like how would you, or are you, or are you literally going to go for like a hundred reps in a day? Like, what's how would you split that? Uh, I don't know. I don't know why you're doing a hundred reps in a day in the first place. <laughs> but, 
But if you are, more power to you. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting, I'm finding that study again very fast. Uh, I mean, I did, I did sing it. Oh God, two weeks ago I was doing sixty reps of front squats because I had three sets of twenty. Uh, rough. I bet that was awesome. Yeah. Oh, but... oh yeah, it was awesome until uh, I, I, uh, I. S- I was a little sick that week, and it was the last day, and I, I hit the, the safety bar on the the, uh, the squat rack and ended up busting my butt and bruising my tailbone. <laughs> yeah, dude. I'll, I, every now and then I'll be like, I'm going to do 12 today on squat, and then I'll get to 8 and be like, all right, 8 sounds good. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've been doing 12s for a while, actually. I stopped squatting heavy, which yeah, is really yeah. unfortunate. Yeah. Okay, uh, okay. so so here here's here's the study I was thinking of. Uh, distribution of strength training volume into one or two daily sessions and neuromuscular adaptations in female athletes. Um, it was split into two three-week blocks. So the first three-week block, um, they they were training once a day. Um, and then the second three-week block, they did the same training volume split into two daily sessions. So if anything, you would expect that to not work quite as well because, you know, in, in general – um, the work you do at the first part of a training block tends to be more effective. But uh, during that first three weeks, they uh, didn't gain any strength, any muscle size, and there were um, no increases in muscle activation measured via EMG. Uh, and then in the um, second three weeks, uh, it was an average gain in strength of 5% significant gain in muscle mass and um, gains in maximum EMG as well. Uh, And then there was another one. I I just remember this as I was pulling up my sources. Uh, Comparisons between twice-daily and once-daily training sessions in male weightlifters by Hartman. Um, And they they split them into two groups, one training once a day and one training twice a day. Uh, Again, just a three-week study, but the twice-daily group... um, gain their strength increased 5.1% versus 3.2%, um, and EMG. So, so maximum muscle activation increased 20.3% versus 9.1%. So some, some pretty interesting stuff on, uh, splitting, splitting your training into multiple times per day. So were those, uh, on, were those s- squats? I'm assuming that was like squat or leg press. Uh, the the one on weightlifters was squats. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. So I mean, and, and that makes I mean that makes sense. You know, the the you're getting more volume in, you're getting more tears on the muscles. Um, but uh, awesome, cool. Um, so what are some tips that you guys would give anyone who's you know? So this will go up in. Uh, November. Uh, what are you know? As people get ready for the new year, and, and people might hear this in the new year, what are some tips you would give anyone for proper ways to gain strength? I mean, obviously, if you're new to the gym, you don't want to go squat twice a day. Squatting probably once is is going to be enough. Um, but you know, what are what are some tips you would give and how to gain strength and looking at it long term? Uh, you know, and, and how to to build and, and continue to grow and get stronger. Nick, we'll start with you. Okay. Uh, yeah. um, I think it's really, really important to track your lifts. Um, that way, I think if people get either, they don't really know how strong they are. 
Um, or, you know, they don't know when to change. Uh, I think tracking your list kind of like it lets you know where you're at. It gives you a number to shoot for. That way you can, you know, like, oh, I got 85 last week. I'll try and get 90 this week or whatever. Um, and it also lets you know when you need to cycle your list. So if you've been stuck on bench press at 225 for, you know, three, four weeks now or something like that, uh, maybe you're achy or whatever, it, it's kind of a, it kind of gives you a couple signals that maybe I need to switch over to dumbbells or maybe I need to switch over to something. Uh, that way you don't, I don't know, you don't get stuck doing the same thing for too long. Uh, you can keep that progressive, you know, increase. Uh, so I think tracking your lifts is something really important that a lot of people you see in the gym nowadays that they just don't do. Yeah, that's that's actually a a really good a good point. Uh, I see I see guys all the time, everywhere. Not even not even tracking, um, and then I see guys doing crazy things, but they're tracking. And my thought as well, at least you're tracking. You know, you're getting better. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. At whatever at whatever you're doing, um, it's kind of like, you know, if if you don't know where your money is going because you never look at your bank statement, then you wonder why you're always broke. Well, it's those late night Taco Bell visits or, you know, those, uh, stupid games you bought on the app store, uh, you know, that tally up, uh, right. But same thing. So, uh, Adam, what are, what are some things you do for yourself or for clients that tips that you would give people and in, in how to, how to get strong, how to maintain it and how to continue to grow over time? Um, yeah, I mean, I'll say that, uh, some people sort of, uh, overestimate how much effort they really need to put in to get stronger or even to maintain that. Uh, if you train literally, you know, two or three times a week, uh, you know, even just one upper body and one lower body session, that can often be enough to maintain any strength, uh, gains that you've already made. And so I get people that maybe they haven't been able to come into the gym as much for a few weeks. And, uh, they're, you know, they're asking for me to make their programs easier because they're afraid that they've lost, a, you know, a ton of progress in the time that they've been, you know, cutting back. And, and yeah, you do have to, you absolutely do have to cut back a little bit when you've taken some time off, but it's not like you have to go back, you know, it's not like it has to be a massive setback. Uh, you know, you take a, you take just a small, you know, five or 10% decrease in volume or whatever, and then you just, you know, come back to it stronger. Um, it's, it's easy to sometimes people kind of see breaks as being like this horrendous setback, but oftentimes, uh, and, and kind of going with, uh, you know, Greg's, uh, somewhat recent article about how you can sort of take time off and it actually, uh, may help set the way for, you know, new gains because your body is not as accustomed to the training, uh, as it used to be. Um, you know, it, it, it can absolutely be a time to, to rest up and then just uh, push forward again stronger. So the, the thing I would say, um, so, so assuming this is advice to people who are fairly new to it just starting out, is um, just find a way to make it fun. I think, I, think that's, uh, I think that's something that people overlook a lot. Um, cause I mean, when, when you're pretty new to it, just about anything is going to work pretty well. Um, like you, you don't really need the perfect training program. Um, a lot of it is just like developing the habit of just getting to the gym repeatedly. And so especially like new year's resolutioners for a very short period of time, you have a lot of motivation. Um, you know, you, you're very confident that you're going to stick with something long-term. Um, and you just, most people don't like, like statistically, if you have a new year's resolution, 
and you're sticking with it six months later, you are a very, very rare exception. Uh, and, and most people think that they're going to be the exception, but obviously most people aren't. Um, and so I think a lot of people, uh, they kind of get into an aversive relationship with exercise. They get like kind of a, a no pain, no gain attitude. Um, which like past a certain point, eh, that's somewhat valid actually. But, uh, when you're first starting out one, you don't, you don't really need to do all that much to make improvements. And two, like if, if you go into it kind of with the mindset that like, if something sucks, it has to be effective, then that's not really going to set you up to stick with it long term. Um, you know, because you're, you're not looking forward to going to the gym. So you have, um, like it, it's, it's not an extrinsic motivation. So intrinsic motivation, that's, that's kind of like within you motivating you to do something. Um, so that might be, you know, your goal to learn, to lose 20 pounds in the new year, something like that. Uh, extra and extrinsic motivation is, um, just basically doing something cause you enjoy doing it. And so, uh, we're, we're generally pretty good about, uh, doing things we're extrinsically motivated to do sometimes a little bit too good. So that would be, you know, you know, you're probably not supposed to have like a five hour Netflix binge right now, but you do it anyways. Uh, that's because the extrinsic motivation to watch Netflix for five hours, um, overpowered your desire to do other things. Um, so if, if training can become something that you genuinely look forward to, if you find a way to make it fun, um, you know, do exercises you enjoy doing, uh, make, like make friends at the gym or, uh, find someone who wants to start lifting along with you that you, you know, enjoy being around, like just, just little things like that can go a long way. And then, uh, once it does become part of your lifestyle and once it does become something that's just ingrained in who you are and what you do, then if you have loftier goals, like, you know, let's say you want to be a bodybuilder or you want to be a high level powerlifter or something like that, then that's the time that, you know, training doesn't have to be as fun and it's probably not going to be quite as fun. Like there, there are going to be things you have to do, but don't necessarily want to do to improve towards those goals. But, you know, early on your first couple of months in the gym, that's not the time to worry about stuff like that. That's the time to, you know, just enjoy going to the gym and working out and making progress towards some more modest, realistic goals. That's that's a very good point. Uh, have fun uh, and, and enjoy. Uh, and, and Greg made a good point about, you know, uh, making friends or going with a friend. Uh, and I'll put these links in the show notes as well for anyone who's interested. There's a couple of websites out there where you can actually find like a gym buddy. Uh, if you're in a town like myself uh, where you don't know anyone um, and if you want to work out with someone, but you know, maybe don't want to take a yoga class or do a group exercise class and uh, you know, you, you want that camaraderie. There are a few websites out there that you can, you can search and find people in your area um, or even just go onto the gym's like Facebook page and be like, Hey, looking for a gym buddy. Um, you know, so there are I, those. I was, was going to say, I mentioned the Craigslist men for men uh, postings would do pretty well, but you might get some other weird stuff. along with that. <laughs> I was, I'm still always weirded out by Craigslist. If I buy something uh, from you, we're meeting at a Starbucks or a public coffee shop. Like I'm not, I'm not meeting someone at their house. Uh, but that's just me. So last question I want to ask you guys, 
uh, and and you can answer it very briefly or or go into to whatever. Uh, but I do want to wrap the show up. Why is strength important to you? Oh because man, I'm, because I <laughs> just threw happy right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there there was uh, there was a study done a couple. Yeah, I, actually, I think it's it's like a year old two days ago because it it showed up on my time hop. Um, but they they found that um, strength, uh, like muscle strength, was a better predictor of longevity than uh, even BMI and body composition were. So uh, ideally, if you're lean, jacked, and strong by the time you're you know hitting retirement age, then basically you don't ever die, and that's hashtag science. Brian Cron will live forever. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> uh, okay, that's that's, that's I, I remember that study last year, um, and that's I think one of the reasons I was like, you know what, I think I'm going to stick with this this whole like lifting thing. I I kind of want to have the chance to live a little longer. Uh, Nick, why is why is strength important to you? Well, like. Uh, I just like being able to do things with my body and uh, I, I compete athletically, like recreationally. Um, and that's really, really important to me. So it's not like a competitive thing. Like I don't win national titles or anything like that, but I like going and beating the dude's ass next to me. Right. So like, I really, really, that it gets me excited being able to do things with my body, being able to run fast, jump high, stuff like that. So I can't really imagine a life where I couldn't do that. And strength allows me to do that better. Right. So that's why it's important to me. It's kind of what, excites me i guess okay uh adam why is why is strength uh, in, important for you yeah i mean uh for those that uh aren't aware of my story uh i'm a like almost suicide attempt survivor i i uh, didn't really go through with it but uh in the you know after you know recovering from that i uh i really got into lifting for the first time and it helped me you know it helped me save my life and uh even on top of that i mean just strength in general like even before when I, when I was just training and i was just sort of doing bodybuilding stuff um i didn't have any real structure i didn't really have any plan i was just kind of showing up to the gym and doing stuff and it was only when i really got interested in getting as strong as i could that i started actually organizing my training and trying to you know actually be smart about it and figure out what i was doing and the crazy thing is how that's carried over into my everyday life uh, with everything else as well. Like uh, in high school, man, like I was a mess. Uh, I was a mess in college too. Like I, I, I'm somehow, you know, like I somehow I got through all that stuff, but I don't really know uh, because I was so disorganized and uh, just, it's, it's so bizarre, you know, to me today to look back on what I used to be before I had this kind of structure in my life. And now just the structure of training, the structure of getting stronger in my life has, uh, you know, managed to make me so much more organized, so much more um, just uh, orderly in my lifestyle. And uh, I absolutely would not be here today uh, in any sense if, uh, if I didn't have that. So Awesome. That's a, that's a great way to end uh, in, in the show. Um, but I... Uh, I hope you guys have, have enjoyed our, our, our little chat on, on strength and strength training and, and how, how to get stronger. I think to wrap it up, as, as Greg pretty much said, uh, get jacked uh, uh, to get, you know, to have the potential to be stronger. 
Um, so, you know, gain some more muscle. Uh, you know, if, if you're a little overweight, lose some body fat. And then, you know, you can pack on the, the muscle and, and you have the potential to be hella strong. Uh, I'm anticipating getting through this uh, last few days of, of 600 grams of carbs and, and, and packing on some muscle. And, and then. Wait, I, I, thought, I thought you said high carb. <laughs> <laughs> um i have to say there's only this leading us robbie <laughs> carbs carbs are great it's really funny when you walk out of sam's club with uh eight pounds of rice and 10 pounds of oats and the guy just stares at you like what the hell are you doing <laughs> um, you need a few more two liters with that though man <laughs> it's it's a, it's a good time uh but the carb farts are pretty bad i'm not gonna lie so anyone who ever experiments with it, just know you're going to crop dust everyone. <laughs> is that is that even a thing? I've never heard of carb farts. <laughs> I think I think you're just. I, I think it's oat farts is what it is. I, yeah. It probably <laughs> is, it probably is the oats. Not gonna lie. Yeah. Um, that's probably what it is. Uh, but anyways, I want to thank you guys for for coming on, Nick and and Greg and and Adam uh, and. All the show notes you guys can get uh, on the website over at psychwestfitness.com backslash podcast. Uh, you can get the show notes there. Uh, and thank you guys for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Robbie. Thank you. Thank you.